This is a Hot Pie Media Original. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today is the fourth episode in a series on building an effective exercise program that yields predictable and sustainable results. The information I'm providing you is based on almost two decades of research and experience in the field of human performance. And today I'm going to break down the three bioenergy systems. I'm going to explain how they function to provide your body with the energy it needs for exercise. And this will set the stage for future episodes where I teach you the methods for how to improve them. But before we get started, if you enjoy listening to The Blueprint, would you please take a few moments to hit the subscribe button on whichever listening platform you are listening on, as this is one of the best ways that you can support the podcast. One more thing, as a reminder, when you are considering making changes to your exercise or general wellness program, please consult your doctor first. Now, let's dig in. Please do me and yourself a favor and stop saying that you're doing cardio. Every time you exercise, whether it's lifting weights, jumping rope, riding your bike, or going for a hike, for an extended period of time, you are creating adaptations in a specific energy system, which can improve your ability to do more exercise with less fatigue. It also can improve your body composition. And if you compete, you can perform longer with more intensity with less cost to the body. You aren't just impacting the cardiovascular system. You're creating global changes to your anatomy and physiology. You have the power to make some amazing changes. And I want to help you understand how to harness that power. Today's episode should definitely come with a warning label as I'm going to get a little bit technical. I'm going to zoom in and zoom out on some big ideas. I'm going to get really specific on some some of these biochemical reactions taking place in your body. So let's buckle up here, all right? Webster's Dictionary defines conditioning as two things. The process of training to become physically fit by a regimen of exercise, diet, and rest. The second definition is a simple form of learning involving the formation, strengthening, or weakening of an association between a stimulus and a response. And I think an accurate description for energy system training or conditioning lies somewhere in between these two definitions. When you exercise, you are presenting the body with a specific stimulus that causes an adaptation, which improves a number of things, some of which happen at the same time. So you can improve strength, mobility, changes in the architecture and vasculature of your heart, and even myelination of your nerves. There was actually a really cool study done by Yoon and colleagues that found that exercise combined with diets rich in certain types of fat increases melanogenesis which means you're improving the nerve impulses or the conduction rate of nerve impulses in your brain and spinal cord, which can prevent certain types of neurodegenerative diseases. So when you're exercising, you are impacting things at a macro and a micro level. My point is, is this, when you hop on a treadmill or a bike, you aren't just doing cardio. You are making physiological changes to multiple systems. And if you know what you're doing, you can elicit some specific adaptations to create a desired effect. So let's talk about the three energy systems and how they work together to provide the fuel that your body needs to move. The currency of energy for your body is something called adenosine triphosphate. You may have heard about this in your high school biology class. Muscle contraction, and therefore all exercise, is dependent on the breakdown of ATP into adenosine diphosphate, inorganic phosphate, and hydrogen ions, and some free energy. If you go back to your old chemistry class, you remember this thing called delta G? Well, this reaction has a negative delta G, which means you're creating all these different things, plus some energy is released. And this reaction is what provides fuel for all movement. 
Don't worry, I don't want to get into all the gory details on all this, but what you need to know is that there isn't a sufficient supply of ATP in the cells to supply themselves and sustain high outputs for lengthy periods of time. Therefore, the cells rely on other mechanisms to supply ATP for the work that they need to do. Muscles are reliant on other more complex molecules like glycogen and more importantly, finely tuned energy systems that can ramp up production of ATP really quickly. Muscles are unique in that they have the capacity to do this. And there's a whole field of study called bioenergetics that breaks this down and how these energy systems supply energy substrates for their bodies. And it's really quite fascinating. There are three energy systems and they are the oxidative system, the glycolytic or lactic energy system, and the phosphocreatin system. Some of you may have heard it called the phosphagen system. These systems do not work segmentally. And that is what I was taught 20 years ago in my physiology courses. They actually are working in a very unique harmony at the same time. So you have these three energy systems supplying energy from different pathways. Something to note here from a macro perspective is that the glycolytic and phosphocreatin systems are grouped together and are referred to as the anaerobic systems, meaning they do not use oxygen to create ATP or energy, whereas the oxidative or aerobic system uses oxygen to create energy. So anaerobic means without oxygen, aerobic means with oxygen. The contribution of each system to create energy is dictated by two things, the intensity and the duration of the activity. So for instance, for short duration, very intense activity like sprinting or jumping or doing an Olympic lift that lasts, let's say, less than 10 seconds, most of the energy for ATP is derived from the phosphocreatin system, which utilizes a process called substrate-level phosphorylation for all you aficionados out there. As the duration of high-intensity activity increases, the glycolytic system is relied upon even more, and this creates a byproduct that most of us are aware of, lactate or lactic acid. The glycolytic energy system fuels long duration, high intensity activities like a 400 meter sprint or long duration interval training. Or if you did like a 15 minute wad at a box and you're just going really, really, really hard, you're going to have a high reliance. You're going to be relying a lot on that glycolytic energy system. And I'd like to pause here and take a moment to debunk a little bro science. Okay. When you exercise really hard, and you're sore the next day. It's not because of a buildup of lactic acid. This was actually debunked in the 80s, but people still say, hey, you got to go work out that lactic acid the next day, and that is completely false. For a long time, lactic acid was given a really bad rap and was considered basically like a metabolic waste product, but it turns out it's actually a good fuel source that the brain and the heart can use. According to UC Berkeley researcher George Brooks, the proper interpretation is that lactate production is a strain response, and it's there to compensate for metabolic stress. It's the way the cells push back on deficits in metabolism. So when they're really strained hard, lactate is produced. After an injury, adrenaline will activate what's called the sympathetic nervous system. We've talked about that before, and this will give rise to lactate production. Professor Brooks says it's like gassing up the car before a race. Brooks' research suggests that lactate supplementation during illness or after injury could actually speed up recovery. And I think that's pretty amazing. So lactic acid is not the culprit for muscle soreness. So what's causing fatigue? Now, this is going to get a bit sciencey, so hang in there with me. There's a wonderful paper that was published in Experimental and Molecular Medicine authored by Wayne and colleagues 
that breaks down the multifactorial components of muscle fatigue. And they note something pretty interesting. So it started out that lactic acid was the culprit. Then people moved on to, oh, it's hydrogen ion accumulation, which plays a role in muscle fatigue. So let's go back to our original thought. Prior to the 80s or even in the 80s, people thought lactic acid's the culprit. Well, then we started understanding a bit more about these pathways and we thought that hydrogen ion accumulation was thought to play a role in muscle fatigue as glycolysis leads to the production of something called pyruvate. An excess pyruvate is converted to lactic acid, which disassociates into lactate and hydrogen ions. So lactic acid breaks down into lactate and hydrogen ions. Hydrogen ion accumulation lowers pH, and researchers over the past 20 years have thought, well, this was the primary culprit for muscle fatigue, as the environment of your muscle becomes more acidic, and that means you feel that burning sensation, and this interferes with specific reactions that impair muscle contractions. Well, not so fast, my friend. Anaerobic metabolism also involves what's called the hydrolysis of creatine phosphate. Hydrolysis is a chemical breakdown of a compound using water. The accumulation of inorganic phosphates during high-intensity activity is now thought to be the culprit, as it impacts something called the sarcoplasmic reticulum and the release of calcium, which is critical for muscle contraction. You can go back to your old high school or college physiology textbooks, and you'll realize that calcium is a rate limiter. And so it's really interesting to see where things have gone now. It was, it was lactic acid, now it's hydrogen, then it was hydrogen ion accumulation, and now they're saying accumulation of all these inorganic phosphates is really the issue. So that was a little bit of a deep dive for all you science nerds out there. I hope that scratched an itch for you. So let's get back to the energy systems. We discussed the phosphocretin system providing ATP for high-intensity, short-duration activities like throwing a baseball or a javelin or doing a short sprint. Then as the duration picks up, the glycolytic system starts to contribute more ATP. But I want to make a note here for you that as the duration of the activity increases, increases, output decreases. There's a reason you can't maintain top speed forever. You start to slow down. As a matter of fact, if you look at a hundred meter race, the winner of the Olympics is the person that slows down the slowest. They usually hit max velocity around 60 to 70 meters and the people are actually slowing down. It looks like people are speeding up, but they're not. You can't maintain max output forever. Then as the duration presses on, let's say past a minute, the aerobic system using oxidative phosphorylation is the primary ATP generating pathway. And the intramuscular glycogen, which is a stored form of glucose or sugar becomes the dominant fuel source. So your body starts using oxygen to create ATP. You went from short duration, high intensity activities, no oxygen required. You start doing high intensity activities for a little bit longer. The glycogen systems involved, still oxygen is not required. You start pressing out past a minute, your body's going to start using more aerobic pathways to generate fuel. Just makes sense. So let's say we're looking at an 800 meter run. You sprint out for the first five to 10 seconds. The phosphocretin system is pumping out a ton of ATP. And then the glycolytic system begins to ramp things up as you extend out past 10 to 30 seconds. And then towards the end of that time, you're going to start having more mixture of the aerobic pathways getting involved. So these things work in a very unique harmony. So as you push out several minutes to hours of exercise, oxidative metabolism of carbohydrates and fats provides almost all the ATP for muscle contractions. This is what primarily fuels events like triathlons or marathons or long hikes 
bikes or when you get on your Peloton for a 45 minute ride in the morning, as long as you're not doing super high intensity intervals, most of the time the aerobic energy systems was providing energy. I just want to be really clear. This isn't a sequential process. It's not phosphocretin, glycolytic, aerobic. All these things work in harmony together. So here's what I want you to take away from this discussion. Whenever you exercise, whether you're lifting weights or jogging, you are conditioning these systems. Depending on the duration and intensity of the session or the method you use, you can dramatically change the power or the capacity of these systems. So why is this important? If you want to live for a very long time, you want to train the aerobic system because it produces adaptations to the heart and the peripheral vasculature that reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease. These adaptations to your tissues help you be more efficient at burning fat and you won't fatigue as easily. If you want to improve your golf game and increase the power output of your swing, you need to train the power and capacity of your phosphocretin system. If you want to crush it at your CrossFit box, you need to train all three of these systems well. In the coming episodes, I'm going to teach you the methods for effectively conditioning each of these energy systems to improve your health, body composition, and performance. If you found today's podcast useful, would you please do me a favor and leave a review and a comment in the Apple Podcast app? This simple act will help us reach more people with the message of the blueprint. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.